Welcome to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church. Well, good morning, City Point. I just warned him not to be talking bad about Boudreaux and Thibodeau. That's my cousins. family tree in Louisiana doesn't run very deep, but it's real wide. (laughs) Everybody's kin at some point. Our our backyard sport, we call it dragging up kin. That doesn't mean you drag them down the street. You just sit there and try to figure out with whoever you're visiting with in what way you're kin to them. <laughs> wow. That's a I've never been introduced by the death ride of a bulldog. I, 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 I'm, I'm a little bit speechless. All I'm thinking is if if they offer me cheeseburgers today, can I come eat with you, whoever else, any, anybody else, any other car? <laughs> come from a family of dog lovers, and so I know how, how bittersweet that moment is. But I have to say, I, I leaned over and I said, Cheeseburgers? She said, yeah, two. Two of them. I've always heard that you can get whatever you want, your last meal. (laughs) I have lost my appetite for cheeseburgers. (laughs) I don't know when it'll come back, but you, you ruined it for me, Terry. Well, you didn't know I would be here today, did you? I didn't either. Uh, But as God wills, here I am. And I'm excited. At my age, I'm excited to be anywhere. Uh, No, it was a unique thing. This was... uh, there, there has been as many as five years in my life between times when I even had a Sunday off. I spend my time, and I've spent the bulk of my ministry itinerating, traveling, speaking, and uh, I spend about 60 to 70% of my time outside of the U.S., and occasionally I come do missionary visits to northwest Indiana, But it's been a while since I've been to Portage. I was trying to remember. I have preached here. I can't remember what church. It was over 30, uh, over 35 years ago. And I know that because I know the ages of my children. So 
And I remember I didn't have any children there, and my oldest daughter's 35, so. But I've, I've, uh, about four years ago, I asked my office, I said, can you just calculate? I know we didn't keep, when I first started doing this, we really didn't keep records about everything, and so we're going to have to do some estimations, but you know, over the past uh, 20-something years, we have records and know exactly how many times I've preached in, in a week or in a, in a month. And so they just extrapolated it and uh, come to find out, and that's as of four years ago, I preached in 5,000 different churches. That doesn't mean that I'm anything special. It just gives me a little bit of perspective. I've seen church done every way. Sometimes good. <laughs> but great worship today. Great worship. I can tell this is a church that loves God and I don't have a bulldog story, but I, I do have a little bit of an interesting story as to how I wound up here on this particular Sunday. As I was stating, I don't usually have many weekends off. It's pr pretty busy. and But this weekend was one of those rare weekends when I was not, it was intentional that I was not scheduled to speak anywhere. The reason for that, it, there were cheeseburgers in my future. <laughs> no. Uh, but I was scheduled to have a, a, a surgical procedure. I was going to have to be down for a little bit. And it's one of those interesting stories that it's a, um, it's a procedure that, oh, well, maybe I'll tell you more about, but you had to, you had to, you know how they do tests before you go, you have a, you know, you blood test. Well, this one particular procedure, I, I never had this happen before, but I guess maybe because it's an expensive surgery, they said uh, we want to make sure that you're psychologically prepared for your recovery. So you have to pass, I had to take three psychological evaluation test and an interview with a psychiatrist. And then come to find out, they, they had called me, told me, you know, don't eat anything the night before. And they called me back and they said, you didn't pass your psychological evaluation. <laughs> I thought, that's interesting. I said, are you sure? And they said, well, we don't have the results. And I said, well, let, let me check with the, that interviewing psychologist and come to find out he'd had some kind of emergency and he'd not sent the results in. And so they said, well, it's too late now. So I, I won a reprieve from the surgery and I wasn't scheduled to be anywhere. And my wife said, you know, there's this church. My wife's in charge of my schedule. I, I tell people, uh, my wife likes to tell me where to go. <laughs> Take it however you want to. Uh, 
over 15, 16, maybe 18 years ago, I can't remember, God just spoke to me to put my wife in charge of my schedule. That way no one can ever say that she doesn't know where I am or what I'm doing. So uh, she sends me out. and I, I Sometimes on these long missionary trips, uh, six weeks at a time, when, sometimes when I'm overseas, there have been times I've called and said, can I come home yet? She'll say, no, you got two more countries and, and then you can come home. But uh, she has a, a real gift for connecting with pastors. We are very sincere and, uh, and, and, and I'll, I'll preach anywhere. I'm here. And uh, it's not about where I preach or what goes on. It's just a matter of I, I see myself as a servant to the body of Christ. And I long ago decided I am not intimidated by the crowd size. I'm not intimidated when it's large. I'm not intimidated when it's small. So I'm as excited to be here today as I have when I've spoken to hundreds of thousands of people and I feel just as fulfilled doing what I'm supposed to do, uh, I, I'm, I'm excited. My wife, as I said, she has this sort of ability to connect with pastors and we do diligently look at the emails that come in and I, I, there, there are a lot of them. But she, she told me, uh, on it was Friday, wasn't it? It was just Friday. Because it was Thursday night, Thursday afternoon, they called and said, you know, don't eat anything after midnight. Don't do this. Don't. And it's after that that they called and said, oh, sorry, you, you failed your psychological exam. Or, uh, so <coughs> my wife said, there's a church in uh, Portage, Indiana that has been talking to me, and I'm not sure really because I, I, I'm not, I don't, I totally trust her. I wake up in the morning and look at my phone and find out what I'm supposed to do that day, where I'm supposed to go. I don't even look at the, the, the plane re reservations and I'm on a plane three or four times a week. And she said, uh, you think you feel like going? I said, well, this is not very much notice. And she said, I think that these people are really hungry and it may be a God thing. Now, my wife has a sense of uh, spiritual intuition, let's call it. And come to find out that you guys have been, pastors been rereading God Chasers and been, been, been pursuing in 231 days of continuous prayer uh, we come from a heritage of things that are birthed in prayer. The church that my wife attends, I, I would say the church that I would attend, but I'm not there on Sundays, pastored by a friend of mine. In fact, I saw him, uh, I saw him on Friday. And he, uh, that church has had an unbroken chain of prayer in the building for over 50 years. 
oh, over 50 years. That's probably approaching 60 now. Started by his father. and So I, I understand and it's with passion that you pursue. And I, I, don't, I didn't come here today because I, I said to my wife, I said, I hope they don't have too, many, too much expectation on me. That, that worries me. I said, I want you to make sure you, you tell them, you know, that, that when I get there, I don't open my suitcase and God come jumping out and revival show up. <laughs> My suitcase is heavy, but it's not that heavy. <laughs> but I do think that times and seasons are chosen by God. And I do think that even though I didn't have this on my agenda and Pastor didn't have this on, uh, Pastor Mike didn't have this on his calendar, I do think God had it on his calendar because otherwise you know we try to honor people a little bit in the order in which it was received and so it could have been next year I don't know it could have been never I, I really don't know I, I kind of leave that up to up to God and, and my wife and and she runs things past me, and I said, no, if, if, if they're up for it, I'm, I'm certainly up for it. And so here I am. And I didn't come. I don't have any tricks. I'm not, all, I, all I can tell you is I am a Holy Ghost arsonist. And my goal is to set fires. Now, that presupposes that there's some fuel because I have been places where I've struck matches and we got some smoke but nothing happened. The wood was wet. Maybe there wasn't any wood. I can't predict what will happen. I can't predict, and I didn't come to score a touchdown. I just came to help uh, Mike, Terry, City Point Church, just push the ball down the field a little bit. But I did bring a pocket full of matches. And, and I'm just going to keep striking. Because, you know, sometimes you, you ever tried to start a fire, and sometimes it takes one match, sometimes it takes three. Just a lot, of, a lot of things go into that. Uh, so I have some matches, and you have some time. In fact, you have more time than you're aware because that clock right there says it's only a little after ten. They're probably going to change that now, but. I'm aware that that clock is not as intelligent as some of the rest of you. So, you have your Bibles? I'd like you to, are your iPhones, are your iPads, are your apostolic Androids, whatever it is you're using? Uh, 
the book of Joshua, the fifth chapter, there's a one verse that I want to direct your attention to. And thank you, Mike, for opening the door and for allowing me to be here and just saying it was it was good to come. He came to pick me up uh, last night, and uh, because we didn't ship a lot of books, uh, I will tell you that um, he was talking about the book God Chasers. And if you read it, it didn't look like this. It was green, wasn't it? Well, the reason for that is we just found some of these books. This is an edition that was published. Uh, I, I don't know. I'd have to look in the front. But uh, it was supposed to commemorate when the book, The God Chasers, sold a million copies. And so they were getting ready. But by the time it, it was printed, it was a, a million and a half copies and and that's in English. It's in 40 different languages. And so I really don't know how many. But I do know as of five, six years ago, it was over 4 million copies. So that's a while back. But this is uh, a different version. It has a, uh, a study guide at the end of every chapter. And a few little extra resources in there. But I wanted you to know exactly what it was. This book is free, but my autograph is $20. And I have to sign every book. No, there's really, I don't know that there's more than four or five of these back there because uh, my wife was, they were cleaning out some things at the office and just happened to find a random box or supply of these so that I haven't seen this book in years. There's other books back there. Some of you, you may feel like, oh, I'm not up to reading, a, a, you know, I, I don't need a full meal. I just need a snack. Well, we have snacks for you. Mind mints, I call them. It's a small excerpts of the book that God Chasers set up and just an easily, quick, readable format. And there's also this same book for teens back there, for, you know, 15, 18. I don't know exactly the age that we directed it at, but just for, for youth, a little bit different. Uh, there's also back there, I think there's some, uh, there is some uh, daily meditation, like devotionals based out of God Chasers and, uh, another devotional. This is about unity. Answering God's prayer. How many of you believe it's time for some unity? Yeah. Now, and I'm not talking just about unity in the church. How about unity in your family? Yeah. Yeah. Unity on, on your job. I mean, it make, life goes better when people get along. Yeah. And Jesus' prayer in John 17, he prayed... He prayed five times, Father, make them one. May they be one as you and I are one. May they be made perfect in one. Five different ways he prayed for unity. And as far as I know, that's the only unanswered prayer that Jesus ever prayed. You think about it. Has the prayer for unity been answered? No. We still deal with disunity. He could pray three words and raise the dead. 
Lazarus, come forth. Remember that? And in fact, one third of that three-word prayer was to limit its effectiveness. What if instead of saying Lazarus, come forth, what if he had inadvertently left off the personal pronoun Lazarus? What if he just stepped up there and said, come forth? Oops. Grave would have given up every, every occupant. There will come a day when he steps to the balcony of heaven and he says, come forth. And that's what will happen. But on that day, it was just for Lazarus. So it became interesting to me how he can pray three words and raise the dead and pray five different times for unity and it not yet happen. Doesn't mean that his prayers were any less powerful. But here's the lesson I learned from it. That I learned that it is easier for God to deal with a dead carcass than a live ego. Post that on Twitter and tell them I said so. But that's, that's what that's about. And uh, Then there's one more book that we sent that was written by uh, a, friend, a friend that a pastor in Colorado. You remember, you know, and, and my wife stuck some of these ends, these these book these books in, uh, in lieu of or in understanding in light of the the recent school shootings, because this was written by a pastor a friend of mine, and it was written about his ministry to the family of another friend. That, from Louisiana, living in Colorado, that their daughter was killed in Columbine. And it triggered some amazing after effects that the news media talks about all the bad things, but they never tell you that out of the blood of martyrs, there's often a move of the Spirit. And that's what this is about, the martyr's torch. It's the, the message of, of the Columbine... And, and just just so you get, so you understand that there's another side to things. And that's back there. But that book I did not write. But when a pastor friend of mine wrote it and he sent me a copy, I'm the one who saw to it that it got published. Because it, 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 I remember reading the manuscript sitting on a plane just weeping because of the message there. So I encourage you. Uh, so you got your Bibles on Joshua? Let's talk for just a minute. Just leave it open there in Joshua chapter 5. Let's talk a minute about Joshua. and Joshua is often an overlooked character in the Bible. Uh, he's, he's a little bit overlooked because he stands in the shadow of Moses. And everything that Moses did was just outsized. It was huge. It was big. It was, you know, if, if he got upset, he killed Egyptians. Then he couldn't keep them buried. And then, then, you know, he, he saw bushes that burned. And then, you know, Moses is the one that wrote the first five books of the Bible. That means he is the one that 
gave us the account of Genesis. That means he had an understanding of how things began. I mean, you write Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and those are the books attributed to Moses. It, it's, it's, I mean, who wants to be the next guy? I mean, Moses was the man. He could stretch his rod across the ocean and it would part. He could hit a rock with that rod and make water come out of it. All I'm thinking is don't, don't touch me with that stick. It's a, it's a Moses just, I mean, he, he's just amazing. And then Joshua comes along and he's first mentioned in the fact that when Moses would go into the tabernacle to pray, when Moses finished praying, Joshua would just hang around. He wouldn't leave. He would linger. It's like he, he understood the source of where Moses' authority and power came from. It was during that time of communication with God. And so Joshua was there just even after Moses would leave. He, he, just, he probably was the guy that just carried Moses' backpack or something. And, and at that point he said, Moses said, I'm going home for the day. And Joshua said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay around a little bit. And he just kept nosing around in the things of God until he connected to his own destiny. That's often the best description of what we do on Sundays. We just keep nosing around until suddenly something clicks and we say, I now have purpose in my life. I know, I know what, what's supposed to go on. And that's literally what was happening with Joshua. When Moses' uh, time was done, Joshua is the one that, that stepped forward, but really, it, it was a difficult time. And one of the reasons it was difficult is that the, the very thing that Moses had been called to do, which was to lead the children of Israel across the wilderness into the promised land. He successfully transited them across the wilderness, but he was never able to move them into their promised land. Everybody say the promised land. Promise land. Well, that's what it means. It's the promise. God said, this is yours. You can, you can have it. And Moses got them to the edge. In fact, he got them to the edge twice. The Jordan River was the boundary and they hung their toes over the banks of the Jordan River twice, but they were not able to, to cross. And then Joshua comes along. And here's what's really interesting about Joshua. Whatever, I mean, his, his book is just, you know, eight, maybe ten chapters long. It's not very long. It's a short book. I mean, when compared to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, number, it, it, it's, it's just, it's tiny. Yet, Joshua was able to do some things that Moses was never able to accomplish. I want you to think about that. Moses got them close, but Joshua took them in. 
Am I preaching to anybody that you're tired of getting close and you're ready to possess your promise? Maybe that's the question I need to ask. How many of you are holding on to a promise? You've got something that that you feel like God has spoken and said, I'll do it, but it hadn't yet happened. And so you feel like, I'm ready to do that. Then, if that's true, then Joshua is the one you need to start studying. Because I understand we learn a lot of things from Moses. But when you get tired of getting close and you get desperate to move in, it's Joshua that you need to talk to. And here's why. He successfully did something that Moses could not do. So there's something about the character of Joshua. And so I I began to reread the book of Joshua with some fresh eyes just to see what what was his secret? What made him tick? What, What was it that, you know, helped him do the things so... Because uh, to be honest, there's some things I'm still holding on for. I'm still believing for. And I began to look at Joshua. And in, in the process of rereading the book of Joshua, I stumbled across this verse in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. It's, 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 it's nothing... It's really a, 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 I started to say it's a nothing burger verse, but it made me think of cheeseburgers, and I don't want to say that. <laughs> it's, it's sort of just an innocuous statement, but suddenly I saw it with those fresh eyes. And it's Joshua 5.13. It sa- says this, it says, and it came to pass, and I'm not sure what version you're reading from, but it's going to be, Very similar to this. It came to pass that when Joshua was by Jericho, one translation that I really like says it this way, and when Joshua drew near to Jericho, another translation said when Joshua approached Jericho, when Joshua got close to Jericho, when he, when he drew near, when he got close, when he approached, when he was by Jericho. That means literally beside Jericho. Not, not watching it from a distance, but just right beside it. And there's nothing any more frustrating than standing beside your promise and still not having possessed it. I'm not talking to anybody here that you, you've ever needed a new car or something. You drive up on the car lot with their, your car that, you know, you've, you ever had one of those that even after you turned it off, it kept running? <laughs> you got to shoot it to kill it. You don't even want to pull up on the lot and have the salesman hear you because they know that. She's desperate. Her car's still running over there, chugging along. She's turned it off and walked away and got the keys in her pocket. But 
And, and you, you maybe, maybe it is, and I'm, we're making fun. We all need vehicles or transportation at some point. And you're looking around and you say, oh, this one would be nice. But the problem is you, you can put your hand on it and you can walk around it and you can even test drive it, but you can't take it home. They may even let you pull it into your, your garage just to see if it will fit. But there's a big difference between being beside your promise and possessing your promise. And it's frustrating to see it and not own it. Am I preaching to anybody or just myself? To, to, just, to just see, maybe you see somebody else drive, oh, that was my car. I, I, I need a car like that. Or maybe because somebody else is, is driving around in their promise. And you say, I, I sure wish I could, I, I, I need that. Then there's some character traits that, in, that I uncovered just purely by accident, by insight, when I realized something about Joshua. It says when he drew near to Jericho, this simple little thought raced through my mind and it I was reminded that Joshua is one of only two people alive at this point that's ever even seen Jericho. Everybody else that's following Joshua, they've heard about Jericho, but they've never seen it. Jericho is the first substantial city just on the other side of, of the Jordan River. It's, it's as they're coming in to their promise and and they've all heard about it. And the reason they've heard about it is because twice they came close to possessing their promise. Forty years before, when Moses led them close for the first time, and he said, let's make sure this is the place. And he sent 12 spies. You remember that story, don't you? To go, go check this land out. Go, go test drive Jericho. Make sure this is the place of abundance. And these spies came back and they're the ones that created some language that we still use. Which is, uh, it, it flows with what? Milk and honey. Secular society uses those phrases. And yet these guys are the first ones who dreamed up that phrase. When they came back trying with the limited verbal skills they might have to explain how verdant, how bountiful, how blessed Jericho was compared to the dry wilderness that they had been walking through. They, they scratched their heads and they said, look, we don't, we don't want to tell you. It just seems like it flows with milk and honey. Uh, they, everybody from an agrarian society, they knew if they're talking about that much, a river of milk, there's a lot of cows somewhere. And if there's that many cows, there's a lot of green pasture. And if there's honey, that means that the, the, the crops can be pollinated. So it's not just about something to put in your tea. It's about future reproduction. Because... One of the two things that they knew was necessary is we, we got to have pastures and we need to have a place that 
we can plant crops and they will reproduce. And bees are an integral. Did you know how important bees are? I'm not here to talk to you about the birds and the bees, but just the bees. I was driving down the interstate in Louisiana. Actually, I wasn't driving. It was a friend of mine driving, and we, I, was, I was a passenger in the car. And it was the interstate, and suddenly we came to a halt, and there was a long line of cars, and I could see up ahead, and it was the state troopers. They were stopping every car on an interstate. And I thought, oh man, somebody escaped from prison, or this is a, uh, you know, what like a, a drunk driving checkpoint, or I'm not sure what. But as as we got close, I asked my friend. I said, I hope you hadn't been drinking. <laughs> he laughed. He said, I don't know what this is about. And he uh, pulled up, rolled down his window, and the state trooper leaned in and he said, Sir, we're stopping all the traffic. To warn people, for the next, uh, in, in about a half a mile, you're going to encounter a truck that's had a wreck. And uh, you need to roll your windows up. Make sure your windows are up. Because that truck was carrying a complete, the whole truck, the whole semi was beehives. And when it wrecked, they all broke open and it's like a cloud. Like he said, roll your window up. We started checking the windows, making sure that because you do not want to drive into a swarm of bees with your windows rolled down. Do you? <laughs> that could create more wrecks. Because if the bees want my car, they can have it. Sure enough, we pulled up and uh, we were going slow because of the wreck, but you could see it's like a cloud. You're just, you were driving through it. And I said, I did not know. I mean, I, this is only a few years ago. And I said, I didn't know that there were trucks that carried beehives around. And the, my, the driver, um, the guy I was with, he said, oh, yeah. He said, my my family is from Illinois where they grow corn. Well, you, they grow some corn here in Indiana too, down south. You grow steel up here. Or so. you, you grow snow up here. And he said, yeah, my, my family. He said, and uh, my dad always contracts with the beekeeping guys to put beehives in the corners of his field. And I said, Really? He said, yeah, it's a, they, they, they rent the bees. <laughs> I started laughing. I said, I have rented cars. I have even rented airplanes. I've never rented a bee. I could just see myself walking up to Hertz and saying, I'd like a bee, please. <laughs> you know, but I said, what do you mean they rent bees? He said, no, they pay the beekeepers to put the beehives in the fields so the bees will pollinate. And, and I said, well, then I guess your dad gets a lot of honey. He said, oh, no, no. The beekeeper still gets all the honey. We just rent the bees so they'll fly around, land on 
on the crops and pollinate them back and forth. He said it makes it healthy. It's, it's, it's a good environment. He said they'll put them in every corner. I, I never really had thought about that. How integrated, even in our modern society, that bees are so much so they have semis driving around with beehives. He said that guy was probably taking them to some, they rotate, they start in the south and move north as the time of the spring planting goes and they leave them in the fields for certain amounts of time and I thought that's interesting and then it dawned on me that's why they said it flows with milk and honey. God was letting them know that not only am I able to take care of your needs for right now but I have arranged for the bees to be there so that you don't have to worry about next year. When you plant your crops they will reproduce. They will flourish. They will grow. Why? Because it flows with milk and honey. That's the description the spies came back with. And then there was an interesting thing. There's a, a PS. Anybody ever got a letter or an email maybe nowadays with a PS, postscript at the bottom? You ever got that? It, it's, it, I don't know about you, but... I can't help myself. That's the part I read first. Because it seems like the juicy thing is always in the P.S. And P.S. These spies came back and they said, P.S. There's 12 spies. Ten of the spies put the P.S. in that said, but there are giants there. Everybody say giants. giants. Now, milk, yes. Honey, yes. Giants, oh no. What are we going to do? We need the milk. We want the honey, but there's a problem. There's giants there, and how are we going to deal with these giants? And then, interestingly enough, Joshua and his buddy Caleb were also two of the spies. Remember I said 10 of them said there's giants there. Joshua and his friend Caleb, they didn't say there's no giants, which you would think that they would be in the minority report. They would say they would take umbrage with what the others said. They, they, but no, they didn't say there's no giants. What they said in their PS was we are able. In other words, they did not argue with what the others said they saw. They did not say, hey, you guys need new glasses. I don't know what you're looking at, but we didn't see any giants. They didn't, they didn't argue with what the others said. They didn't say, oh, no, there's no giants. You're seeing, you're, you're seeing things. It's a mirage. They never said anything like that. They just said, regardless of what you saw, we are able. But do you know that fear is contagious? I'm talking to you today. Fear is contagious. Uh, I'm not sure you got that. Let me tell you a story, make sure you, you get it. Fear is contagious. Fear is as contagious as the flu. If one person gets scared, fear feeds off of each other. My little grandson, 
Well, he's not little. He turned, he turned uh, nine this past week, on Friday, in fact. And uh, this would have been when he was about four. I went to pick him up one day. He attended pre-K, pre-kindergarten at the United Methodist Church in, in the town in which we live. That's where he went to school every day. I went to pick him up. The way that they do things there at that particular church pre-K is they just, you, you never get out of your car, you just pull through a line and, and somebody, you have the car seat there and they just stick the kid in and, and off you go. So they stick my little grandson in and I'm driving off and I, I love to hear his conversations and I said, well, how, did you have a good day? Yeah, typical boy, always just one syllable answers for the most part. Did you have fun? Uh-huh. Got two syllables there. Well, what did you do? And then he decided to talk. He said, oh, I killed bears. I said, really? I thought, oh, this will be interesting. I said, you, you, did I hear you right? You killed bears? Yeah, two of them. Me and my friend Austin. We killed the bears. And I said, well, you know, I, I'm, I've lived here my whole life. I'm, I did not know that there were bears at the First United Methodist Church playground. He said, well, there was. Not anymore. <laughs> really? He said, yeah, there was two of them. And all the kids were afraid to play on the playground. But me and Austin, we took care of them. You don't have to worry just confident like that, eating his Cheetos. And, and I said, you, you killed the, yes, Papa, I killed the bears, me and Austin. I said, well, well, what did you use to kill these bears with? He said, well, we had a rope and a knife. But when I get big, you're going to get me a gun, right, Papa? I said, well, that's another discussion for another day, but uh, I know the other kids were glad and chomp, chomp. Yep, yep, we killed the bears. That was it. I had an opportunity later that afternoon to went, went to my dad's house. My dad lives about five blocks from where I live and, and I go by to see him. He's in his 80s now, still trying to travel and preach. Don't, doesn't know what it means to quit and stop. So I'm in there and drinking coffee with him in the afternoon. I, and I start telling him the story. I said, did you know what Braxton, my, it's his, his great-grandson, they get to see him all the time. I said, you know what he's in? And we were talk, talking about it. We were laughing. And then right while we were finishing up that story, my oldest daughter, Braxton's mother, happened to drop by to bring something to my mom. And uh, she had Braxton and his sister who's about a year and a half older than him so she would have been maybe six years old at the time and when they walked in my mischievous old dad he is so he's bad when when that little four-year-old boy walks in my dad said oh Braxton I am so glad that you are here. I heard that you are now a bear killer. He said, yep, I am. 
just confident and went to find some toys to play and, and my dad said no no Braxton come here I, I, need, I need your help if you're a bear hunter I need you and he said okay he walks over there to my dad and he's standing right there in front of him and my dad said listen Braxton we've had a problem at this house for a long time there's bears my little grandson perked up really he said, yeah, and he pointed down a long hallway to a spare bedroom that they don't use. Usually the hallway's dark and the lights are off. And he said, you know that, that room down there? Braxton said, yeah. He said, you know why we don't use that room? He said, there's a bear in there. <laughs> we just can't use it. And he said, your dad, he pointed at me, he said, when, when your dad was he born, he, he couldn't do anything with the bear. Nobody's done anything. And I'm glad we now have a bear hunter. Would you please take care of that bear for me? My little grandson said, sure. And he went rummaging around behind the couch over there where they keep some toys and stuff. And I, I told him, I said, Dad, that's mean. Don't do that. He's, my dad's chuckling. And I said, now he's looking for a knife and a rope. <laughs> well, he couldn't find a knife, but he found a jump rope. Fluorescent pink. Plastic jump rope. And he holds it by one end. And he comes dragging it over and he starts to walk. Takes about two steps down that hall. Then he, 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 he goes over and he grabs his sister by the other hand. <laughs> said, you come help me. She said, oh, no, no. And so he's holding her with one hand and dragging a pink fluorescent rope with the other. And my dad gets up to follow them down the hall and encourage them. And all the way down the hall, he's saying, I'm so glad you're here. He said, but be careful. It's a mean bear. He said, you should see him. He's got, his eyes are red. They glow in the dark. And every step of these little kids was getting a little bit slower. The bear's back there now. And he said, oh, he's got long teeth. And he foams at his mouth. And his claws can just cut you in half. So be real careful when you grab him. These little kids are just getting, I mean, like, they can't hardly get their foot to take the next step and they're holding on to each other and my dad's oh I'm so glad you're here please please don't leave without. they keep trying to go and they finally reach they reach the, the doorway that's open the room is dark and I could tell my little grandson he's trying to make his feet move but they just So he's leaning over, <laughs> looking, and my dad's still describing how big and bad, and, and, and he's leaning, he's holding the rope with one hand, and, and his sister with the other, she's pulling back, he's, he's trying to peep for, and just as he gets about overbalanced, my mean, mischievous dad behind him just goes, Rah! 
It was awful. His sister, one year older, she turns on the siren. It goes, And my dad's blocking the hallway, and she starts trying to climb the walls to get around my dad to get away from the bear. But she can, and Braxton's holding her hand, and and it, it... she breaks loose and she knocks my dad down in the floor. He looks like a turtle on his back. Only he's laughing. He's just, he's just shaking. He's laughing so much. And then he says, oh, the bear got me. Braxton, you could see, I could see it. it where I was situated, I could see right down the hall. And you could see it in his, in his he, he thought about it for, Wait a minute. My papa, my big papa is already down. My sister has abandoned ship. And he tries, but suddenly it dawns on him, look, my sister's older than me. She knows more than me. And if she is scared, therefore, I should be scared. (laughs) He drops the rope and runs right... Stems right on top of my dad's big fat belly as he runs back the other way. And I told my dad, that's good enough for you. I'm not even helping you up. (laughs) 80 years old playing tricks on kids like that. But what happened is her fear, his older sister's fear, Rubbed off on him. He was okay until he saw her afraid because fear is contagious. When these children of Israel heard the story about the giants, can you hear them as they built, oh, big teeth, foaming at the mouth, oh, don't let them touch you. And before it was finished with, their fear from the giants became more powerful than their promise from the future. They believed the fear more than they believed the promise. And God just said, you, you, you can't do that. You won't be able. Just, no, and he said, okay, look. And you know what? God is amazingly patient. He, he never... He never completely denies your promise. He'll just postpone it till you're ready. And he says, look, just take another lap around the wilderness. Am I talking to anybody that you've ever had promises postponed? Fear, you know, you just, I don't don't know, I'm not sure, I can't, and, and, Take another lap around the wilderness. But an interesting thing happened. The Bible says that all of them that were alive, when that happened, that the Bible says they died in the wilderness. Which brought me to the point that I'm now arrived at to, to make sure you get. When Joshua is leading them up to, nearby, approaching Jericho, there's only Two people still alive from that extra 
lap around the wilderness. Joshua and his buddy Caleb. See, everybody else caught the fear flu. It was an epidemic. It just went from one to the other. But when the fear flu swept the camp, only two people survived it. Joshua and Caleb. How is it that they survived when everybody else didn't? I'll tell you why. Because they were vaccinated by faith. And to be honest with you, that's exactly what I'm trying to get you to. I know some of you are afraid of needles and that's why I have to take so long and tell stories about my grandkids when what I'm really trying to get you to do is just roll up your sleeves and let me vaccinate you with enough faith that when they start talking about things at work and when the fear flu sweeps northwest Indiana and when the fear flu comes to your work and you're afraid you're, that, that everybody else is affected by it but, it, but somehow it doesn't affect you because you have been vaccinated by faith. You believe the promises of God you are more impacted by the promises of God than you are the problems of your future. You got to understand that his promises are bigger than your problems. Which really brings me to the amazing point. Joshua was one of those 12 spies that went into Jericho. That means he knew what the city of Jericho looked like. What, come on, talk to me. What is Jericho famous for? Talk to me. The walls. Right? I mean, VeggieTales even knows that. <laughs> Go watch Josh and the big wall. It's amazing the theology they have. Josh bouncing along because he's a pickle. You know, pickles don't have feet, so they just bounce along. And, 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 and Joshua is the pickle, and I forget what the other one is. Is he a, not a pickle? He's a cucumber, and the other one's a tomato. And, 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 and he shows the, the pickle, the cucumber. It's, it's oh, I forget, it's Larry and Bob or something, but Larry is playing the, the part of, of, the, of Joshua, and he, he bounces, he runs into the wall. The Bible says that the walls of Jericho, the Bible says that they were so thick that two chariots could ride side by side on top of the walls. You know that chariots in, the, in ancient history were roughly the same wheel width as our modern automobile? That means that there's a two-lane highway on top of that wall and people lived up there. We know that because the Bible tells us that Rahab, who hid the spies, Rahab's house was on top of the walls. So you have walls that are so thick that you have a two-lane highway and condos on top of the wall. And as they're approaching this, this huge obstacle, this this thing that seems impenetrable, that, that, that 
this thing that is keeping their promise from them as they're walking up to them. Everybody else has only heard about how big it is. Far as we know, Joshua may have been the one who measured it. We don't know. He has a one in 12 chance. All I know is he's been there. He's seen the walls. He knows how big they are and he's walking up to them anyway. Oh, you, you, you didn't get it with me. He sees the wall. Everybody's saying, Joshua, do you have a plan? Yeah, I, I sure do. What's your plan, God? What, what's God going to do? I don't know. But, but we're, 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 we're going. Joshua, don't you think we need to stop and have a committee meeting to build a battering ram or something? No, no. Just keep going. But Joshua, you're the one that told us how big the walls are. Yep, they're big. And yet that scripture that I just read to you says that he walked up to them anyway. You know, it, do you ever walk around down there? You do? I don't want to break any rules here. I'll stay up here then. No, I won't. I'm going to go down there. Do you understand what I'm talking about when I say that it takes one kind of faith that, you know, you're living your life and then suddenly you face a problem. You, didn't, you, weren't, you weren't expecting it. Anybody ever lived your life and just something happened one day? You know, you got an email, you got a bad diagnosis from the doctor, you got a phone call, and suddenly you're in crisis mode because everything is, is not, it's not going good. And so you say, oh, I, I, I have faith. It, it takes faith to, to deal with the sudden unexpected problems that we ha face in life. But it takes a different kind of faith entirely to... Know how big a problem is and walk toward it. Oh, I'm preaching to some of you now. I understand the kind of faith that you suddenly have a problem and you have to deal with it. But I'm talking about a different level of faith when you say, I see that. Yeah, I acknowledge how big it is. I'm walking there anyway. I'm preaching to some of you. You're, you. You even know what you're facing and you're saying, but Tommy, the reason you can have so much a positive attitude, you're not facing what I'm facing. That's why you need to learn from Joshua. He knew how big the wall was, but he walked toward it anyway. Hallelujah. He is not intimidated. Oh, I forgot to tell you the title of what I'm preaching today, Okay, so here's the title. Breaking the Spirit of Intimidation. I'm preaching to some of you right now. Anybody here ever been intimidated? Some of you are so intimidated you wouldn't even raise your hand right then. Anybody here ever been intimidated? Sure we have. How do you overcome that? And that's why, here's what, I, my assessment after re, reviewing and rereading this is that Joshua is the least intimidated man in the Bible. To know how big something is and say, let's go get them. 
Look at somebody next to you and tell them, let's go get them. So in fact, tell somebody on the other side, tell them, I am not intimidated. I, I refuse to be, I refuse to be intimidated. Why? That's my promise. Scripture says, I, I never even finished reading this text. The Bible says that Joshua, look, look, at, your, look at your Bible. I'm quoting it because it says he drew near. And the next thing in there, it says, and he looked up. Terry, he looked up. He looked, he looked am I preaching to anybody that you've ever walked up onto a problem and it was so big you had to? Some people refuse to look up when they face a problem. Because they have an eye. I'm not going if I don't see it, it doesn't exist. You can bury your head in the sand, you can close your eyes, but you're going to bump into that wall. Some people have a, a funny idea of what faith is. They they have an idea that faith is faith is 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 denying that something exists. And that that's faith. It's like, you know, you, you, you have a headache. Anybody here ever get a I forget. You guys are so spiritual, you don't get headaches, right? <laughs> I get a headache sometimes. Anybody get a headache? I mean, you got a headache. You got a whopper. You got a migraine. You, it's terrible. And, and some people's idea of faith is they walk around saying, my head doesn't hurt. I do not have a headache. Mm-hmm. I do not have a headache. Ooh, my head does not hurt. That's not faith. That's stupidity. Your head is hurting. You walk around saying, no, my head doesn't hurt, so you don't need healing. Because when Jesus would encounter people, even the ones that were blind or crippled, and he could see what it was that was wrong, he would always ask them, what do you want me to do? They had to acknowledge their problem before he could solve their problem. Everybody said, Jesus, can't you tell this guy's blind? Can't you tell? That's not about what I can tell. I need him because if he doesn't say what it is, I can't do what I need to do. And in fact, I want, I want, my advice, I mean, I don't know about you. When you got a headache, do you say, well, I just need a little healing? You have cancer, well, I just need a little, a little healing. No, I want a big healing. I want to, am I preaching to you today? I want it big. So don't, you don't have to minimize the problem. Go ahead and tell God. It's not intimidating him. It's you. Just say, I have a whopper of a headache. How do you know? I'm standing here so big I have to look up at it. Go ahead. Acknowledge the size of your problem. But then I want to give you a, a little bit of advice. After you look up at how big your problem is, Go ahead and look all the way up, higher than your problem, and look into the heavens. 
He said, I look into the hills. That's a high point from whence comes my help. He's, go ahead, acknowledge how big the wall. Yeah, you're just as big as I remember. I'm going to keep looking up. And he looked the rest of the way up and said, but God, you're up there and you're bigger than my problem. Acknowledge the size of your problem and then remember that God is bigger than your problem. I want a big God. Hallelujah. I want a big victory. I don't want just a little, ooh, I feel that. I want something to happen. Next thing it says after he looked up, he's the next, keep reading there. It says, and there stood, I think King James says, there stood over against him a man. Am I preaching to anybody you've ever had something stand against you? What that actually means in other versions says he stood opposite him, stood in front of him, stood between, in essence, a standing between him and the walls. This is right at the end of chapter 5. If you, if you flip forward and you read chapter 6, verse 1, it says that the gates of the city of Jericho were shut up tight. So if you are... He can picture he's walking toward a gate that's closed and there's a man standing in the way facing him looking like that man is against him. And then this is where Joshua just, this is where he just, he gets all of my respect here. The Bible says that when he saw that man Standing again, oh, I forgot to tell you. This man, the Bible says this man has a sword drawn in his hand. Waving it around, okay? He's got a sword. And Joshua walks up to this man with a weapon in his hand and says, are you for us? Are against us. <laughs> He's crazy. You know, you know, you don't. You're, you're not impressed like I am. But okay, a sword. The sword is not here. It's here. A, a sword was the most technologically advanced close combat weapon of Joshua's time. And the man's got it pulled out. And Joshua, come, come on, okay. The, the modern equivalent would be a pistol. If you saw somebody waving a pistol around, would you walk up to them and say, are you a friend or an enemy? Come on, get real with me, would you? Uh, maybe you live in beautiful sunny climes of northwest Indiana where you know I, I'm from Louisiana. We got this city down there called New Orleans. You heard about it? <laughs> it's, it can be rough. I, I grew up around there. I, I, I get it. They have bars. And when I talk about, you know, weapons and, and, and pistols and stuff, yeah, mm-hmm. 
I've seen it. I know. In fact, they have bars in New Orleans that have metal detectors at the door to see if you have a weapon when you go in. If you don't have one, they give you one just to make it all even. You got it? State trooper told me, he said, I know in Louisiana, over 90% of the cars I stop, they've got a gun in there. I have to be careful. Why? Because it's just, well, we're crazy Cajuns. That's all I can say. But I've never been crazy enough to, to have a man wave a, a pistol around and, and I just say, I'm going to go talk to that guy. In fact, I'm going to find out if, he's a, if he wants to fight me or not. Because that's essentially what Joshua's asking. Look, you're standing in my way. I just need to know. I, I, I don't know. At this point, I get this crazy kind of, uh, uh, in my head, I picture Joshua as, uh, you remember Fred Sanford? Yeah. Yeah, climb up in. That's because, oh, I, I forgot to tell you this. You, this might be why you didn't see that picture. You know how old Joshua is here? We know. The Bible lets us know. He's, you, you can do the math. He's 80 years old. This is no spring chicken. This is no testosterone-fueled teenager. He's an old geezer. Are you for us or against us? Now you got it. And the guy, the guy with the weapon in his hand says, no, 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 little man, look. I am captain of the Lord's army. That's one translation. Another translation says, I am the general of the host of the Lord. I'm captain of, of, the, of, the, of this army of angels that's around here. Which tells me something else. I mean, Josh is crazy. This wasn't the only man with a weapon. This was just the first one. Because if he says, I'm captain of the Lord's army, there's more there than him. And Joshua's ready to throw down with a... And you know what? The Bible doesn't say that he even has a sword in his hand. Doesn't say that Joshua had a sword. He may have had nothing. As far as we know, he had nothing. And he walks up to this guy waving a sword around and said, Just need to know, do we fight or not? And you and all the rest of them, just let me know. What are you talking about, Joshua? Here's what I'm learning that a man with a promise in his heart is more powerful than a man with a weapon in his hand. I'm preaching to you. A man with a promise in his heart is more powerful than a man with a weapon in his hand. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Somebody give a shout to the Lord. No weapon. Yet I don't have a weapon. It's not about what you have in your hand. I don't have enough money in my hand. 
I don't have the right education. I don't have the right connections. I don't care. Just answer one. Do you have a promise in your heart? Are you motivated by the promises of God? Because if you have a promise, you don't have anything to fear from anybody that's waving a sword around. This little guy says, are you a friend or an enemy? And the, and the answer says, no, no, I'm captain of the Lord's army. In other words, I, I'm, I'm a, he's a heavenly being, right? He's, he's, this, the man is not actually a man at all. He's, a, he's an angel. I, we don't know what angel, but... My opinion, I like to think of him as Michael, the warrior angel that's often pictured with a sword in his hand. So my man Joshua is walking up to this heavenly being and some people are saying, well, okay, now I get it. Now I know why he would walk up there so confidently and just, you know, I beg to differ with you. If he had known that that was an angel, I don't think he would have walked up and said, are you a friend or an enemy? I don't think he would have done that. I think if he had known that was a heavenly being, if he'd known that was an angel, he would have said, boy, am I glad to see you. Have you seen those walls? And here's another thing. We have a Western world view about angels. Okay, we just finished with February 14th, and so... There's a lot of little greeting cards and they all have this, you know, they got this, this angel. It's like a little chubby cheek, fat-footed, diaper-clad infant with a tiny bow in there. Ping! You're in love. Can I tell you something? That is not the biblical view of an angel it's not sorry first of all they're not tiny secondly they don't need a diaper third when you see them you're not smiling oh isn't that cute no if you read you study the I went through and looked through the entirety of the Bible at every known angelic encounter that a human ever had. And here's what I discovered. Every other encounter that a human ever had with an angel, the first words out of the angel's mouth were the words, Fear not. Don't be afraid. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to hurt you. Why, why is that? Because the normal human reaction to a heavenly being seeing them as they are is shaking in terror. Except for my man Joshua. I studied it. He's the only one in the Bible that when he has an encounter with a heavenly being, the first words out of the heavenly being's mouth is not fear not. In fact, Joshua gets the first words in. And Joshua just said, hey, do I have to fight you or not? 
Can you see this, this just giant heavenly angel saying, look at this little guy. He, he's not afraid of us. First one I ever met like that. No, no. I'm on the Lord's side. Don't kick sand on me. You old geezer, you. I, I mean, this is so, it's startling when you look at it and you compare it to Mary, the mother of Jesus. When she had an angelic encounter, when they came to the angel came to say, you're pregnant, you're going to have a baby. The first words out of, the, out of the angel's mouth was, fear not, Mary. Oh, no, no, it's just a birth announcement. Don't be afraid. Even going back to Adam and Eve, the Bible says God put two angels with what? Flaming swords. Why did he put angels there? Because Adam knew the way back. But he wasn't going back. Why? Have you seen those angels? I'm not getting close to them. They are terrifying. And throughout the Bible, there, you can go one after another. Do you know that there are even accounts of animals having angelic encounters? There's a prophet named Balaam. He's going to prophesy something. He's, he decided he wants to come to, uh, to, to Port, Portageville. Is that where I'm at? Portage. Portage. On a different day. He's going to prophesy. And, and God said, no, no, don't go. You've got to wait till the Friday they cancel your surgery. Then you go. I don't know what, but Balaam was just up to do, no, he was going to say things and go places that God never sent him to say and never sent him to go. And he gets on his donkey and as he's riding, the donkey sees the angel. I don't know what that tells you about the prophet that the donkey can see things that he can't see. But, and by the way, donkeys are not noted for their high intelligence. I'm, I'm, I know I'm crazy, but I said, I gave you the picture of Fred, Sanford, Fred Sanford. But when I, when I think about Balaam's donkey, I always think about the donkey in Shrek. <laughs> with, the, with the voice of, what, what is it, Eddie, uh, Eddie Murphy. I mean, that donkey just sees that angel and, and Balaam saying, get up, get up. And the donkey says, are you crazy? Have you seen that? I am not going there. What? Big. That's, a, that's another thing. The angels, they're not tiny. They're huge. They're gargantuan. They're, they're gigantic. They're, they're overpowered. They're big. So when Joshua, he don't only see a big wall, he sees a big heavenly being waving a sword around and if you saw somebody waving a sword in front of a locked door, you would think, they're guarding that door. That's why he thought they might be an enemy. And when they get there and the angel says, No, no, I'm on your side. Then the Bible says Joshua falls on his face. Some people faint when they see the problem. Other people worship when they see the promise. He fell on his face and he said, Oh, I've been believing for something like this. And now you're here and you're on our side. 
I want you to, when I began to study that, the Holy Spirit whispered something to me. Remember, the angels are big. It said, Tommy, remember, not every giant is against you. Look at somebody next to you and tell them, I refuse to be intimidated. Oh, come on, say it. Say it. I refuse to be. Say it. I refuse. Here's the, just tell them, you don't intimidate me. <laughs> I, I, I saw that. You were just a little too happy to say that. Joshua is not intimidated. He's not intimidated by the size of his problem. Here's the other thing. Some people called Jericho the problem. Joshua called Jericho the promise. Sometimes your problem and your promise have the same name. The doctor says it's cancer. and You call it healing. Your problem and your promise have the same name. And when Joshua realizes this is an angel, it, then it made me start thinking, and the angel had the sword out. That means that the angel is waiting on them to get there. It's like, I've been waiting on you. As Joshua got close, the angel pulled out the sword. And, and then, if the angels have been waiting on them made me wonder I wonder just how long those angels have been waiting for somebody to approach the promise wonder how long now I can't prove this but I have an idea how long I think that they've been waiting there for 40 years why 40 years? Because God never promises what he cannot provide. I believe the first time that they got close, God sent a battalion of angels to camp out around Jericho and say, when my people get close, reveal yourself to them and take the city. 40, say it, 40 years. I'm preaching to some of you. You have unemployed angels that are bored out of their mind. They've been sipping Starbucks, sharpening their sword, waiting on you to arrive at the... You call it the problem. They call it your promise. They're just waiting on you to get there. Yeah, but it looks so big. and In fact, it's... Did you hear there's giants around it? With giants. Giants. <laughs> Made me wonder, Pastor Mike. I wonder if the giants that the unbelieving spies saw were actually the angels that Joshua later encountered. After all, big guys standing there I mean if you stand at a distance and all you say look they got swords too and they're big we can't do that you would never know that they're on your side unless you approach them 
I'm, I'm preaching to this church. God has some promises that you cannot possess by long distance. You can't stand back and say it looks too problematic. It looks too big. I am encouraging you to let the faith of Joshua be transplanted into you and you just start walking toward that promise. Don't be afraid. Oh, come on, say it. I refuse. Don't be afraid. Just walk walk toward it. And you say, but don't you see those big guys? Yeah, but you will never know that they're not against you. They are for you. Not every giant is against you. They're just waiting on you to get there. Yeah, but I didn't know they looked big. I know. That's why you just walk up to them anyway. And even if they are a giant, just put a few rocks in your pocket. That's, that's good medicine for giants. But in the meantime, you'll never know. I'm preaching to some of you. God has got things so orchestrated, but he can't reveal it to you until you arrive at that place. And then Joshua realizes this is our solution. I don't need a battering ram. I got the angels. I don't need a committee. We got the angels. I don't, I, this is all solved. And he says to the, well, what do I do? Uh, what do you mean, what do you do? You, you can't do anything. We got, what do I do? Just, it's like Joshua said, please tell me something to do. I want to do something. Well, okay. Can you march around and have a parade? Make some music? Yeah, all right, if you'll just play the music, we'll take care of the problem. Which teaches me something. When we worship, angels war. I'm preaching to you. When we worship, and while we worship, it just took a few days of worship. If they stopped worshiping, the angels sheathed their sword. They put it up. But if you keep worshiping, they keep doing war. Worship is warfare. That's why when we worship, angels war. Hallelujah. Somebody say it again. I'm not intimidated. Hallelujah. Does the word of God come alive in your heart today? That's what, that's, that's what I believe. God sent me here to tell you. There, there's promises in your future. There's things that he wants to do. Joshua said, well, what do we do? The angel said, well, take your shoes off. The ground that you stand on is what? Everybody say holy. holy. Take your shoes off. The ground you stand on is holy. The word holy literally means set apart unto God. Belongs to God. He said, take your shoes off. The ground you're standing on already belongs to God. Uh, Josh, you still think you're standing on the problem, but you're already on the promise. You just don't know it. I'm, pre I'm preaching to some of you. You're already on promised land. You just have no idea. You don't even know how... 
take take your shoes off, Josh. The ground you're standing on is whole. It where where I'm preaching to some of you right now. Wherever you are, it already belongs to God. Hallelujah. Take your shoes off. Then it made me think. You remember the promise to Abraham? He said, "Every place the sole of your foot touches." He didn't say the bottom of your sandal. He said the sole of your foot. Maybe the reason the angel told Joshua to take his shoes off is he just needed that, that Joshua's, the bottom of Joshua's bare feet touching the ground flipped some spiritual switch. And it's like, you know, the promise is everywhere the sole of your foot touches. So Joshua, can you just take your feet, your, your sandals off and touch it? Because if you touch it, we can take it. I'm, I'm preaching it to you. Please get it with me. If you touch it, God can take it. Have you ever thought about why we even lay hands on the sick? What we're literally doing is when we touch that person, we're saying to that sickness, to that disease, you don't intimidate me. If I'm about to pick a fight with somebody, I start doing this. Why? Because I'm telling him I'm not intimidated. That's why when we lay hands on things, we're saying we are not intimidated by you. I'm, I'm trying to get it through. If you touch it, God can take it. Come on. Maybe I, I, I talked about a car. Maybe you do need a car. Just go ahead. Park down the block. Shoot that old one in the head. And walk up to the car lot. And when you, when, when you find the one that you think, this is the one that will help me, this is the one that will get me to church, just, just start running your hands down it. The car salesman will think, oh, you're admiring the paint. Well, yeah. But if I touch it, he can take it. Maybe you need a new house, new apartment. Go look at one. Go this afternoon. When you get there, take your shoes off. Everybody's going to think, oh, they don't want to dirty the carpet. Yeah. That's right. In the meantime, just dig your toes into that plush carpeting and say, remember God. If I touch it, you can take it. I might go walk around barefoot in the yard even. Just Why? I'm touching. Because if I touch it, he can take it. Hallelujah. Say it with me again. I refuse to be intimidated. I feel it from you now. I think you got it now. You got the faith of Joshua. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray for you. There's one, one more level of maybe understanding about taking the shoes off. When, when you get home from this long-winded preacher on Sunday, hey, I don't get to come here often. I'm, I'm working while I can. All right, God sent me here. 
you're ready to leave, you go ahead. I've got a message for somebody. They're about to take something. How are they going to take it? They're going to touch it. But when you, Seriously, when you get home from this service and you walk in your house, what's about the first thing you do when you walk in? What? You do? Why? It's your house. Maybe that's what the angel was telling Joshua. Take your shoes off. Your home belongs to you. Just relax. This is yours. I'm telling some of you, if you'll just walk up to the problem... God will handle the rest. And he'll say, just take your shoes off. You can worship for a few days. It's all going to be good. Joshua could not do one thing to take that city. The angels did it. Your, your, your problem and your promise has the same name. Just keep marching. How many of you want this faith of Joshua? You want, you want it? Stretch your hands. To, stand up for a second. Just Stand up for a second. Stretch your hands toward me. I, I, I know sometimes it, you know, we say, oh, I want Tommy Tenney to lay his hand on my head. It's not my hand on your head you need. It's Joshua's faith in your heart that you need. I'm going to pray that over you. And then this afternoon, you're going to go take some stuff. Tonight, we may even have testimonies. But we'll keep believing Sometimes you got to walk around seven days. Father, I, I pray. Pray for my new friends here. I pray for, for this church. I, I pray for the, 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 these people. Oh, God, let the faith of Joshua rise up within them. Let the faith of Joshua and Caleb Father, we vaccinate them with the fear flu. I refuse to have my emotions jerked around by the headlines of any news. I don't care what the news prognosticators say. I know what the promise giver says. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm going to just keep marching and keep walking because God has given us the city. In Jesus' name. Come on, give God some praise now. Come on, Pastor Mike. Thank you for listening to the City Point Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at citypoint.tv or our Facebook page, City Point Church.